Thank you, Tim, for that prayer of supplication. You can turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Luke, where we have been walking through a series of messages. While the attention is still somewhat on my son, Tim, I want to say how proud I am of him and how grateful I am for Tim and his uh, help in the ministry here at Cornerstone and just the other ways that he uh, has uh, served the Lord and his family and in the workplace. I, uh, knowing that I was going to be preaching on the subject of prayer this morning, thought about an episode in Tim's life. He may have told some of you this. There was a time when he uh, played high school football. At least he went out for the football team at North Davidson High School. And I think maybe it shocked him a little bit because this was his senior year. And all of a sudden, he just got this notion, I need to try my hand at football. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you better do it this year. But anyway, lo and behold, he went out for the team and practiced, and, 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 and he, was, he made the team. He went through the grueling exercises of all the practices out there in those hot July and August days and, and, and all the exercise in the weight room and things like that and looking forward to his first and only football career in high school. And, and so he did. I was, I was really proud of Tim for following what was a, a long-time dream, I guess, of his and, and having the guts to not many young men were taking that step and suffered the possible humiliation uh, of not making a team or whatever. He didn't get a lot of playing time. I don't recall his name and picture in the Davidson newspaper, uh, the highlights in the game, but he did get to play some, and we cheered, screamed our heads off for the all 30 seconds. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's probably longer than that. But I say that to lead to this. In that brief time that Tim functioned and served on the North Davidson Black Knights high school football team, it became known amongst his teammates. Many of them, I believe, knew this through their exposure to him in classes and in fellowships at the school leading up to his senior year. But certainly in his senior year, it became known to the team members and even the coach, Tim was a believer. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he earned himself a pretty honorable position. I don't think he went into it thinking that's what he would do, but he actually became the unofficial team chaplain, if you will. And Tim describes how during that season, his greatest season, he had the opportunity as the team would be huddled up, ready to get out there on the field. Coaches psyching everybody up. I don't know if this was in the locker room, probably was. But he said he would customarily or routinely, as he finished his speech or whatever, and everybody was huddled up and psyched up, he would say in his own gruff coach voice, okay, Martin, pray. And Tim would pray. He would pray for the team. And he would pray for the game. And he would pray for God's help. 
I didn't get to hear the prayers, but I can imagine what he prayed. And you know, as I have, as I looked at that time then, and I look back on it now, it's been many moons, as we say in Native American language. But I couldn't have been prouder of my son. He didn't come home with the trophies and all the records out on the field. And, but he came home with something much more significant to his dad. That was the fact that he was a living witness in the midst of those that he immersed himself among. So much so that even a high school, for a high school coach, would let his be the final words before the team would rush out on the field. And he was calling on the Lord. You see, Tim had heard me pray. He had heard his mother pray. He knew the significance of prayer in our family. And I don't know how many lives on that team were touched by his prayers and his Christian witness, but I couldn't have been proud and could not be prouder of him if he had brought home trophies and great accolades of records that he may have broken in the sport of football at North Davidson High School. And, and so prayer is essential in the life of the believer, young and old. And Jesus is teaching that this morning in this series from the Gospel of Luke that I entitled, Follow Me, because that's at the heart of it. All through his earthly ministry, Jesus is calling people to turn their backs on sin and sinfulness and turn to God in humble righteousness or humble repentance and trusting in the Lord and receiving salvation. And so he's calling men and women to come to follow him as disciples, to, to as Luke 9, 23 says, to deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow him. It's not an easy call. It's not a popular call. Nonetheless, it is a call that the Lord issues. And so as we look at this very familiar passage, dealing with what is termed the model prayer. That's what it is. We're going to look at the elements of kingdom praying given to us directly by the Son of God. This does not come secondhand. It comes directly from the lips of the very Son of God. No one better to teach us about praying. You see, in Jesus' day, it was customary for rabbis to write out a, a prayer for their followers. And so they would memorize that prayer. And they would, wherever they went, they would pray it in public. They'd pray it privately. They, they went through this rote prayer. And, you know, in a parallel version of this passage in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, Jesus, in teaching that powerful and significant significant message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had spoken and warned his disciples on the subject of praying. He had warned them against the temptation to be like the hypocrites 
who, who love to, to go out in public places, whether it be at the synagogue or stand on the corner of the streets and to, to pray loud and, 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 and to draw attention to themselves because the object of their praying was actually to be noticed so that people would be impressed. And Jesus warned his disciples against that kind of egotistical praying that was just praying to be seen or to be heard. He warned them against praying in vain repetitions as the heathens would do. The pagans that would just be chanting these mindless prayers that made no sense, but yet they thought was winning them acceptance to God. He said, don't do that. So in the setting of the message today in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, and it came to pass, and by the way, this is getting on later in the earthly ministry of Christ. He's no longer venturing in the region of Galilee in the northern portions of Israel. He's gravitating closer and closer to the city of Jerusalem because he knows there's a divine appointment that he has with an old rugged cross on which he will hang and suffer, die for my sins and for your sins. He's in the region of Judea. We talked about that last time because it was in the town of Bethany. And it says, and it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Luke's not so concerned that we pinpoint the exact place. But in a certain place, when he ceased his praying, that one of his disciples, again, not he didn't name a particular one, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so at the request of this disciple, I believe this disciple, and it could have been Peter, because you know, Peter's oftentimes the spokesman for the rest of the group. He says what the rest of them are thinking. But anyway, this disciple, in an impromptu requests, after hearing Jesus pray, like they'd heard Jesus pray all through the years they've been walking with him, talking with him, and, and being exposed to his ministry. And, and Jesus, in response to this request from this disciple, transforms that request on on behalf of all the disciples, I believe, I believe all of them were, were wanting to know. Teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. As John, speaking of John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. They were aware that in John's brief ministry, John the Baptist had indeed taught his disciples to pray. As he saw prayer. And now Jesus' and disciples They'd heard the rabbis pray. They'd heard the disciples of the rabbis pray. They'd heard the Pharisees pray, the Sadducees pray. They'd heard the publicans pray. Listen, they or, or the uh, scribes pray. These empty, superficial prayers. No, they'd heard that. But then they heard Jesus praying. Folks, this is God to God. <laughs> It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more truer than that. And they said, we want to know how to pray in this authentic kingdom way. And so Jesus gives here what we call the model prayer. I know some people call it the Lord's Prayer. My preference is to call 
or to title John 17, the Lord's Prayer, that beautiful priestly prayer of Jesus just prior to his arrest and crucifixion, pouring his heart out to, to, to Almighty God, the Father, on behalf of, of his disciples and all the believers that would come as a result of, of, the, of his witness and ministry in the world. And he's praying, oh, a beautiful prayer for the church. Oh, that, that to me is the Lord's Prayer. This is a model prayer because Jesus didn't just, like the rabbis, write it down and said, now you boys memorize this. And every time you want to pray, just recite these words and just go through this as, as you hear people do that. Now, folks, let me just give this clarification. I'm not opposed to, to individuals praying the model prayer out loud. I do it. I'm not opposed to us, the congregation, occasionally as a part of worship, reciting the, the Lord's model prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's authentic. And I think it reflects the heart of what praying is all, all about. But Jesus is, is teaching his disciples basically an outline. He's, he's wanting them to see the model and then they would design their prayers and pray their prayers, personalizing it, incorporating these elements. And so should you. All right. Now, the expanded version, as I said, is in Matthew chapter six. in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it would be good for you to go back and to refresh your memory with that. This is the cliff notes version of the Lord's model prayer. There's nothing missing, though, because everything Jesus wanted his disciples to know, recorded here by Luke, is right here as you seek to pray it. So the first thing that we want to look at in chapter one, uh, chapter 11, verse one, talks about the disciple coming to Jesus. And, and, and now in verse two, he said to them, this is why I think that the request came on behalf of the rest of the disciples, because Jesus didn't just teach this to one disciple. He gathered the book, gathered them around and says, okay, listen, let me share this with you when you pray. And it's very simple. You know this already by heart, but let's look at it. Let's walk through it. Let's look at what I consider to be in the model prayer. Jesus gives us his pattern. So we see the pattern of the Lord Jesus, even from that beginning. When Jesus said, our father in heaven, let's just, just stop there. Because Jesus' disciples, like I said, they'd heard the, the rabbis praying, and they'd heard the other religious leaders praying. They understood that, that, that Jesus prayed in a way that was nothing like any of the others had heard. They'd heard John, John the Baptist pray. They'd heard John the Baptist's disciples pray. They knew that no, Jesus prayed in a way that no person prayed. They wanted to learn that. And Jesus is letting them see the pattern of his praying. He says, and, and you see in this first part that Jesus focuses on the glory of God. On the first part of this prayer, the first portion of, of this prayer focuses on the glory of God. And then it focuses on, you know, like the, the, the nature of God, the purpose of God. But then the second half of the prayer that we'll see in just a moment focuses upon the needs of man. 
but it's altogether God-centered. It's altogether God-centered. And so should our praying. Jesus introduces a radical concept in his praying in his very first words. He says, you know, when you're praying, he teaches his disciples, start out praying our Father. And, and that is a radical thing because in that day, the Jewish leaders would never have thought to refer to Jehovah God in, in a relational way, as a personal way, Father. I mean, in the Old Testament, the, the term Father was used in reference to Jehovah, but it was Jehovah the Father of the nation of Israel. But he's saying personally, when you come before Almighty God, you, you pray, Father. And, and it's interesting because this term that Jesus is using to refer to Jehovah as Father, in the Greek, parter would be the, the, the word for Father, but Jesus is using the Aramaic, which is a spoken language of the people of that day, and, and he uses a term that is much more intimate, Abba. And and it's a term that is intimate, and, and a small child would utter this, running into the presence of their daddy, throwing their arms up. Abba. That's how intimate it is. And, and so that's a foreign concept that the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and the scribes scoff at that idea. In fact, it caused a great dispute. One of the things that they had angst against the Lord so much was the fact that he had, he had the audacity to refer to God as Father. And yet in his prayer, he said, you come before him, Abba. Because, folks, I'll tell you something. Jesus wanted them to know and he wants you to know. Praying is relational. It's not religious. Christian praying is relational, not so much religious. And I like in Matthew's version how Jesus even made it possessive. Because here Luke, he just talks about, you know, our father. And, and well, the emphasis that you see is, 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 is possessive, our father. And Matthew makes more of this, our father. In other words, laying claim in our personal relationship with God that, that he is our father. Not just the father of all of mankind. And I know there is that movement of the brotherhood of mankind, the fatherhood of God. And folks, let me tell you something. In the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is not father to every human being on the face of the earth. He's the creator of all of mankind. He created every person in the image of God. But he's father only to those who share in a relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why it's pointless and vain for people in secular society, people who are not Christians, to, to pray the model prayer. If they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are not relationally connected with God through faith in Christ, then they have no right and way to call God Father. And so as we look here, 
Jesus talked about this pattern of coming before God built on a, a relationship and praying to him in a personal way. When you pray, when I pray, we have access to God. And he hears our prayers. He knows our heart. God's not some distant deity impersonally disconnected from us that we're simply ritualistically lifting up a prayer and hoping that somehow it'll get his attention if we add a lot of works to it maybe. Oh no. Jesus knew the makeup and the composition of the Holy Trinity was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there was perfect communion in the divine holy trinity. And so Jesus normally, naturally, talked to God the Father in that relational sense. And since we are in Christ and he is in us, we have that privilege too. And we can come before him as Father. But as we look at this wonderful prayer and and Jesus clarifies as he goes on. We see the Lord's prayer, the Lord's model prayer, reflects the nature of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Wow. The privilege of approaching God in a personal and intimate manner. Listen, folks, just because you can call God Abba, in a personal and intimate way. That does not excuse you or me or anyone from setting aside deep reverence and respect because he is still almighty, sovereign, eternal, holy and righteous, all-powerful God. And that's what we should know and maintain in our minds and that's the perspective with which we pray. And so when Jesus is saying there, hallowed be your name. Folks, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody talking about praying and they flippantly use that expression, well, I had a talk with the man upstairs. I, I, I get it. I like want to step out of the circle. Well, you can't just talk about God, the man upstairs. Number one, he's not a man. And he's a whole lot more lifted up and transcendent than just upstairs. He's God. He's the one who speaks into existence the stars and the constellations. And at his very whim causes the planets to orbit the suns and the moon, the planets. He's the one who controls the beat of every heart that beats on the face of the earth. He's the one that brings in and puts out breath. He's God. And so Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, he's intermingling the personal and, 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 and this reverence. Hallowed. In the Greek, that, that word hagiazo means something that is set apart as holy. The name of God. You don't throw it around and treat it flippantly. And that's why in the in the 
the Ten Commandments, God made it clear to the nation of Israel. You do not misuse the name of God. Don't don't treat the name of God vainly. It must be set apart. It must be regarded and, and reverenced as that which represents almighty God. And, and, and therefore he it represents the fact that God is supreme above all of creation. He's highly exalted. He's holy. And so must his name be. There's nothing magical in the name of God. You can't go around using it as a chant. As if to make and manipulate God to do things. When you use it, use it in the context that it was intended. Use it in the context of prayer. Use it in the context of worship. Don't be throwing it into everyday conversation unless you are seeking to lift up the Lord. We hallow his name. One commentator said, through the absolute obedience to God. In all aspects of our life, we show and, and, and demonstrate our, our deep respect for and the hallowedness of God's name in everything that we do. When we obey the Lord, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. David said in Psalm 7, verse 17, he said, sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David understood the significance of the name of God, as did many of the Old Testament saints. Because you see, in the ancient Hebrew, God expressed his nature. He revealed his attributes in his name. We are accustomed to refer to God, the Father, we, we, we refer to his son, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. In the Old Testament, God had names that specifically revealed his glorious attributes of God. For instance, Elohim in Genesis chapter one speaks of God, almighty, sovereign creator who is superior above all people and all things. Elohim or El Elion, Deuteronomy 32.8, that, that is describing God as, as a high and lifted up. There's, there's heaven and the heavenly beings. There are the heavenly hosts. And you go on and, and on and there's God. Yes, he is imminent and personal and close. But folks, don't lose sight as the Hebrews and the ancient text helps us to see that name El Elyon reminded them constantly that God is never equal with and never below creation. He's high and lifted. Jehovah Jireh, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. God will provide. You know where that context, if you look that verse up, you would find it in the context of that dramatic story in Genesis 22, 14, where God has told his faithful servant, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, 
I want you to take him and lay him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham's waited on this promised boy. I mean, he's 100 years old plus at this point. And God is saying, this is the hope of Israel. And God's saying, sacrifice him. You know the story. God, Abraham did just that. Took Isaac. He's a young man. Up on top of the mountain there. Built an altar. Had the wood with him. Had the fire. Isaac said, Father, I see the wood. see the, 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 the altar, the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham's response. Now you're talking about faith. Abraham's response. Jehovah. Jireh. God will provide. And Abraham, you know, had that knife raised, ready to plunge into the heart of his son, looking eagerly into his eyes. Maybe, maybe at this point, becoming a little scared. And just as he was about to thrust the knife to end the life of his precious son, God, through his messenger, said, Stop! That's enough. That's all you need to see. And then there was a ram. Horns entangled in the thickets just close by. And that was the, that was the sacrifice. Jehovah, Jireh, God provides. Folks, when your time of need and your time of want and your time of scratching and getting by and wondering how in the world am I going to be able to meet ends or how am I going to have what I need to have? Listen, you just repeat Jehovah Jireh. Nobody knows your needs better than the Lord. And his name demonstrates that. I, I need to go on. Jehovah Nisi. In Exodus, in chapter 17, 15, when they had crossed through the Red Sea, the children of Israel, and they, and they escaped, the, the, the pursuing Egyptians, and all the Egyptians had been destroyed in the tidal wave that ensued. And there the children of Israel, free. Free, their lives are saved. They built an altar, and, and there they praised the Lord. And, 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 and Moses called the place Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. He, he was our banner. We followed him through the Red Sea. We followed him in running from the Egyptians. We followed him here to this place. God is our banner. Jehovah Rapha. God, our ultimate physician. Our ultimate healer. And how many times have you in the midst of sickness Use that name out of Exodus 15, 26. God made it abundantly clear that he can heal anyone of anything of any, at any time. He is the ultimate physician. So you see, the name of God brings with it many impressive, awe-inspiring attributes of the God that we call upon, that we serve. And Jesus is... Prayer, John 17, that I spoke of in that beautiful prayer that he's pouring his heart out to God, the father, while his disciples and others are listening. Jesus said to the father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. I have come and I have fulfilled the mission 
or I am about to fulfill the mission. And in all my ministry, I have faithfully manifested your name before these men. So we see the pattern of the Lord's Jesus's prayer, model prayer, and how it reflects the nature of God. And, and because he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. But then we get to a part of the prayer still focusing upon God. The Lord's model prayer reflects the purposes of God. And, and Jesus exposes that. He reveals that. Or at least reminds his disciples, this is not the first time they've heard him preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus incorporated into his teachings the Beatitudes and the, and the Sermon on the Mount, all about characteristics of those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. So when he's praying, teaching his disciples to pray, he says, you also pray, your kingdom come. Don't be so concerned about what you want, talking to his disciples, I'm implying here, what you desire. You make the preeminent purpose of your praying, seeking what God wants. And Jesus knew that God was all about his kingdom. And Matthew's version of that model prayer, he adds also the words that Jesus shared, your will be done. God's will and his kingdom go hand in hand. God's kingdom comes as a result of his expressed divine will. And the only people who would earnestly, eagerly pray for the establishment of a kingdom are those who know that they will be in that kingdom and rightly related with the king. And so he says, go ahead and pray to the father. Your kingdom come. Jesus, in, the, in this point, he's identifying those in the kingdom of God. As he's already previously taught, those who put their faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, will be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus, like John the Baptist, came on the scene preaching, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that Jesus had in mind his lordship. These disciples who he is talking to, he has issued the call, come and follow me. They're not just part of a, of, of, of a, a religious movement. They are coming to submit themselves to his lordship. So must we. That's what the call, come follow me, is all about. And therefore, that's how we become citizens of the kingdom of God it's not just purely by our faith, but it's by our obedience to choose to follow Christ. And he has already made it clear to his disciples that he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow in his kingdom before his sovereignty and his glory and his righteousness in his kingdom. Every person coming to Christ by faith and committing to follow him obediently, practicing the divine principles of his word, every person choosing to obey the Lord in that way becomes a part of the eternal kingdom of God. And that's why as disciples, as followers of Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God, listen, at 
at the forefront of our praying to God, your kingdom come. I know Tim Martin, my son, oftentimes I love to hear him earnestly from his heart because I know it's the desire of his heart as it is mine. It should be all of ours. Oh, Lord, would you, Father, would you send your son? We know that's your plan. Your word is already prescribed that. Would you send him now? Is anybody here today maybe objecting to Jesus coming this afternoon to establish his, his, his millennial reign on the face of the earth and, and to, to vanquish all of sin and, and, and evil and, and to us have the privilege to be in his presence and his glory be all over the earth? Anybody objecting to that by chance? I didn't think so. So why don't we pray it? Why don't we incorporate that into our prayer? Lord, today, today, if it's your will, if it's your plan, today is a wonderful day for your kingdom to come. Live in expectation that in any moment that could transpire. So his purpose is that we would seek his kingdom, pray for his kingdom to come, that he would establish his rule upon this earth. But we understand that the kingdom of God is not just the universal rule of God geographically. The kingdom of God is also described by every person who is convicted of their sinfulness and turns by faith to repent of their sins and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his burial in the grave, his resurrection from the grave on the third day, and his ascension into the very presence of God at the right hand of God the Father. Listen, every person that comes to that point of faith is brought into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, though not fulfilled in its actuality, universally, as it will in the future, we are a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Every person who is a Christian, true, sincere, faithful Christian, is in the kingdom. You're looking at kingdom citizens. Every opportunity that you have to share the gospel with someone that you sense is lost, unsaved, does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you're not just chalking up another convert, folks. That's why numbers are not significant to me. I love to see the working and the movement of the Spirit of God, and I like to see it do sweeping things among, among many people. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of God grows one converted soul at a time. Every time that God gives you and me the privilege to share the, the truth of the gospel and the, the, the work of the Spirit of God convicts that person and, and God gives them the faith to believe in Jesus Christ and you are privileged to be able to facilitate leading them to come to Christ by faith and they, they choose to receive Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. Listen, you have just been used by God to add one more citizen to the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's through your direct witness. Through Sometimes it's through your indirect encouragement. Sometimes it's through your faithful giving and your offerings that go beyond this church to help support missionaries that Tim 
led us in praying for today and many others all over the world. You're, you're part of helping people to get into the kingdom of God. There are a number of ways that we participate in that. So we've seen the pattern of the Lord Jesus in his model prayer that reflects the nature of God in his kingdom prayer, his model prayer, that reflects the purpose of God, the purposes of God in this model prayer. Let's let's also take a look at the, how the Lord's model prayer reflects our dependence on the provisions of our God. Jesus's model prayer that we're looking at reflects this, our dependence upon the provisions of our God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at verse three. Give us this day, or give us each day, our day, our daily bread. You know, God takes great interest and pleasure in not only just helping us with our spiritual needs, but God understands clearly better than we do. We are physical beings. We have, we have basic temporal needs. And it's not being irreverent to come before God with these basic temporal needs because he wants to hear his children who trust in him come to him. And basically, and Jesus is using our daily bread just as a, an example, a category. You just you can put under that food. Doesn't have to just be bread. I like bread. But I like a little meat too. Throw in some vegetables and yeah, then you can go on and on. Don't forget the desserts. But anyway, you, our food, our clothing, our housing, all of our basic needs, we can come before the Lord and, and, and trust that he knows already we offer this petition to God, you know, give us our day-by-day -day bread, our daily bread. But you're not, you're not informing God. You're not saying, hey, Oh, over here. <laughs> is empty. Uh, over here. My car just blew up. Not over here. I don't think I can make my uh, house payment this month. Uh, yeah, I lost my. No, no. You're not praying to inform God. Folks, He knows. He's known from the get go what our needs would be. You know, over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 31, I share just briefly these beautiful words that the Lord gave to his disciples. He says, therefore, verse 31, chapter 6, verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? If you've got teenagers or ever had teenagers in your house, you don't hear that question more than once. They eat, they're like termites. But anyway, and that's all right. I used to be a teenager, okay? So I had a voracious appetite. But anyway, Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, what will we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles see, for your heavenly Father, there it is, knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Is this convicting anybody's heart at this point? Some of you are maybe sitting there now listening to me and said, oh, man, tomorrow, I got I to gotta go do this. I, oh, I got to check on this. I got 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Just talk to God about what your needs are today. What you're doing is you're not informing the Lord. You're simply acknowledging God, Father, I trust you. Everything I need, I know you're going to take care of. You're going to provide. You don't always take care of the things I want. Because there are things sometimes I desire that you know that I really don't need and I shouldn't have. But you will take care of the things I need. I don't know. Some of you may remember years ago. My mother's been with the Lord 10 years. And just prior to that, several years, we invited her to come and speak at Cornerstone, give her testimony in Mother's Day. We videotaped it. And my family still enjoys it from time to time. But my mom, who was a farmer's wife, tobacco farmer's wife, and, you know, I, I used to say we didn't know we were poor because everybody around us was poor like we were. But with the 11 children, 11, y'all, double digits, children, including this rascal, she had to put something on the table. And we, our income didn't come in until the end of the year when the crop came in. And then there were years where the hell would destroy the crop. Or the drought would diminish. You know? Or some other disaster would occur. And I say this with all sincerity. Not, not to boast on my mom, but to talk about the faith that she had, that she believed what the Lord's model prayer said. I never remember her wringing her hands, frantically pacing about the house. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What, what, what are, where am I going to get food? How am I going to feed all these? They used to call us chaps. <laughs> anyway, who are we going to feed all these chaps? How am I going to clothe their little bodies to send them off to school? How can we afford books for them at school? Oh, what are we going to do? Pull my hair out. Calgon, take me away. <laughs> Never heard her. She tells a little story, and I'm not going to, but she told a story in her testimony about a little pig. And in that little story about trusting in God to provide the needs of the family, and somehow she wove in the little pig that somehow helped to supplement the income of the family at that crucial time. She understood. She understood what Jesus was talking about here. She didn't worry. And she taught us, I wish I could be as good at not worrying as she was. But we can bring our petitions before the Lord and know that he cares. He knows that he and he cares. Our faith and our trust in the Lord, our Father in heaven, should lead us to pray. Very much like, you know, back in Proverbs, beautiful prayer. Let me just quick go back there in chapter 30. I, I marked it so I'd be able to share it with you. Chapter 30 of Proverbs. Listen to this beautiful prayer by Agor. In verse 7, he says, Two things I request of you, talking to God. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me, from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's interesting. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food you prescribe for me, lest I be full and deny you and, I, and say, who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my Lord or my God. Agur had never heard the Lord's model prayer, but he understood by faith all he needed to do was trust God to provide him with what he needed, and God would. He didn't want too much or too little. He trusted God to balance it out. And that's what we pray. We say, give us. We're simply saying, we're not saying that we don't work. It's not like God's got free handouts. It's not like the federal government is to so many of our citizens today and, and, and makes it tough. Listen, God's not interested. He He's saying, pray that I will use your efforts, your work, your labor, and I will provide for you what you need. But you got to do your part too. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians, if a person doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's pretty strong. We need to move on because the purpose, as God is reflecting here, or the Lord is reflecting in his model prayer, is that you and I will learn to pray with dependence upon the provisions of God for our daily bread, but also for our forgiveness of our sins. That's why he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Just as we're dependent upon God for our basic physical temporal needs, we know that we are infinitely more dependent upon him for his gracious divine forgiveness. That's why we have the prayer of confession incorporated into our worship service. You should have confession in your daily prayer every day. So should I. And so we can come before the Lord and we can we can pray openly and ask the Lord to forgive us. We have already experienced his ultimate forgiveness and everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody. Romans 3.23 tells us for all of sin come short of the glory of God. Why do we need forgiveness? Because Romans 6.23 tells us the penalty of God is death, eternal separation from God in judgment forever and ever and ever. We know that is hell. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Listen, sin in your life will hinder your prayer to God. But we can come comfortably, confidently before God with assurance that just as he has promised in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And Jesus taught about forgiveness. And he understood that the forgiveness that he's telling his disciples about came ultimately through the shedding of his blood on that cross just before him at this time. And finally, so he says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's important. Not that we just pray for his forgiveness, but folks, it's important that we pray as those who are willingly and readily extending forgiveness to others. Jesus warned against a spirit of unforgiveness. He told his disciples, you can't ask God to forgive you if you are unwilling to forgive others. God won't tolerate an unforgiving spirit 
spirit in the heart of those who have been forgiven of so much. And do not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one or from evil. May cause some of you to scratch your head. Thinking, wait a minute, why, why is he talking about do not lead us into temptation? I mean, doesn't James chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 tell us that God does not tempt anyone? God doesn't. God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. That goes against his divine nature. But we fully know from the teachings of the scriptures, you can go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and at the initiation of Jesus' earthly ministry, it says that, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus, the Son of God, into the wilderness to be tempted. The better word, tested. To demonstrate that he indeed met the qualifications to fulfill the expectations of the Messiah. Even out there having fasted 40 days and nights and under this, the, the unscrupulous attack of the devil to tempt him, Jesus resisted. And as a result, this propelled the Lord onward in his mission of redemption. God will allow you and me to be tested so that we can be strengthened in our faith, so that we can be made more authentic in our relationship with him and stronger in our witness for him. Listen, when God allows us to be tested, we're trusting that he will see us through. That's why Paul would pray or say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know, don't be amazed that you're being tempted. He says, you know, you're not being tempted in any way that any other person has not been tempted. But God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. And with that temptation or that testing, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear. God is faithful even when he allows us to go through temptations. So when Jesus is teaching his disciples, do not lead us into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. He's it's trusting the providence of God to watch over them and to guide them and, and to keep them from falling into unnecessary temptation where they may stumble and sin. But also that as God allows his followers, his kingdom citizens to go through times of testing, he will manifest his presence, the power of his word and the, the comfort of his Holy Spirit. And he will enable the Christian to prevail. And so in this beautiful, highly relational prayer, we find that we can come before the very God of the universe. And we can talk in such a, a, a open and a clear and a personal way and know that our Father in heaven eagerly waits to hear from us and he looks 
forward to minister to us through our prayers. I pray that, no pun intended, that as you consider this model prayer, that as you think about your own prayer life, I pray that this will be a pattern for you in your praying. I pray that God will manifest his wonderful presence with you. I, I had a video that I was going to try to show. Do we have that? Okay. Just, just as a closure, this will be our close, closing for the 